0: Okay, we're beginning here five lines from the bottom of Kuf Lamed Hei with Bet. We're just going to chaz over quickly what we finished with yesterday, because that's going to be the basis for most of what we're going to speak about in today's Gemara. And that is Tanya the Bright that we brought with Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel's opinion. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Omer, any baby that survives for 30 days, that is a viable entity when it comes to human beings. Shenemar. And the proof text is from Pashat Korach with regards to Pijona Ben, where it says, Uftu yav chodesh tifte, That you redeem the child after 30 days. So you see here that the Torah waits 30 days before it makes you redeem the child, because it assumes that once you've hit that threshold of 30 days, the child is then viable. If it's a viable entity, then you need to be poded the Bechor, from the Kohen. And with regards to animals, it's It's eight days by an animal. Once it crosses that threshold, it's no longer considered to be a non-viable entity. Because it says with regards to so that from the eighth day and onward, one can bring an animal as a Korban. The assumption being here again that the entity is not viable until that point in time, it would be inappropriate to bring such an animal on the Mizbeach. And so therefore, it waits until that threshold that's been crossed in order for you to bring that animal on the Mizbeach. But the assumption is here is that just like that's applicable by Korbanot, so too it is applicable by Khulin. You could see someone arguing on that basic point, which is saying that by a Korban, that is the requirement that you wait until that point in time. With regards to Khulin, there is no such requirement, and the difference might be nothing to do with viability, but rather that we want to bring the best items on the Mizbeach. And before the eighth day, it's not considered to be an appropriate animal to bring as a Korban because of the also, Kemalachi, okay, that says, Bechet, Gishoni, Ver, Liz, enra. When you bring your garbage to the Mizbeach, or those things that are not the best of quality, that's not acceptable as a korban. And that might be the distinction of somebody who argues on this position, Rabbi Shimon Gamlil, which we'll see later in today's doc, whether there is such a position. The Balai support also point out over here that there's a difference between the 30-day threshold and the 8-day threshold. As you see here, on the 8th day, Already the animal is Ra'oi le Mizbeach. It is not Ra'oi for the first seven days. This 8th day is already something that is on the other hand, when it comes to the 30-day threshold, it's only on the 31st day that it is considered not to be a Nafel any longer. For the first 30 days, it's considered like less than 30 days. Only after you've crossed over the 30-day threshold and gone to the 31st day is it considered to be a viable entity. So, with regards to the 8 days, that's already a viable entity on the 8th day. Whereas, with regards to the 30 days, it's not a viable entity by human beings until it reaches the 31st day. So now, the Gemara continues, Haloshaha, If it did not make it to that threshold time, then it's going to be a sofeik as to whether this was a viable entity or not. How do we give a Brit Milah to such an individual? We don't know if it's really a viable entity. If it's not a viable entity, then they're not required to have a Brit Milah. If they're not required to have a Brit Milah, how we doche Shabbat, how we over the isurim of Chabura on Shabbat, in order to give a Brit Milah to this baby. Now, as Tospo points out over here, that statement of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel has to be made in general. It's not just by a baby that's born after eight months, where we don't classify it as a Bible entity unless it meets this threshold. It is a suffake that applies to all babies that are born unless we know otherwise that they have reached their full gestation period. And therefore, the question arises in any such situation, when you have a stom baby, and we don't know whether it is, it's reached full gestation, and therefore it's a viable entity, then this qualification that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel makes is in place and therefore how can we in any situation like that have milah, bi Shabbat when we don't know for sure if this baby is a viable entity. So Amarabada Bhava Malinotom Mi Well you can give him a Brit milah, either way. Imchaihu, if it is a viable entity, Shapir Kamayu, then this is his eighth day and it's appropriate to do a Brit milah, on Shabbat or on Yom Tov because Bimila is Dokha Shabbat, Milah is Dukha Yom Tov as we've seen in the Daphim, prior to this. V'imlav, if it's not a viable entity Then you're just cutting flesh. Meaning that there is no problem of Chabura. Chabura is a problem when you're dealing with a live entity. The problem of Shechita, the problem of Chabura, as we've discussed earlier in the Masechta, is a problem as a derivative of Shechita, but there the Gemara discussed the possibility of whether it's a problem Mishum Toveya or Mishum Nitilat Nishama. And in the end, we lean towards this saying that it's a problem of Nitilat Nishama and Chaburah. And therefore it's only relevant to an entity that is a viable or a living entity. So a living entity has this problem of Chaburah. Whereas a quote-unquote dead entity, an entity that is not viable, which is classified as halakhically being not alive, then cutting such an item is like cutting a piece of meat and therefore has no restriction on Shabbat. So mimon of shach, you can give the milah. If you're violating the din, that means it's a viable entity and it does require a brit milah and it's Shabbat. If the entity is not a viable entity, then you're not doing anything wrong on Shabbat, so there's no problem, even though it doesn't need a brit milah, not doing anything that is improper in terms of violating the Shabbat. So now the Gemara asks, given that statement of Rada well, I the Tanya? What will we do with this brayta? Sefek ben Zion, Sefek ben Chet we have a child that was born, we're not sure if it went to seven months of gestation or eight months of gestation. You're not allowed to violate Shabbat. According to Rav Adar logic, in that situation, we should give the baby a Brit Milah. We should give him a Brit Milah either way. If he's a live, viable entity because and he reached the seven-month gestation, then he is a good Brit Milah. It's Shabbat if it's an 8 month baby then it's like an evan, or it's like a non-viable entity or non-living entity then it's cutting basar and that's not a problem on Shabbat we explained that this bright thought in order to reconcile it with the position of Ravada Baava the bright is not saying that you don't give a brit milah it says you do give a brit milah. Ah, it says that we don't give a brit milah. Mila. It's Lo Nitzroch Ha'el Milah. It's coming to tell you that you can't violate Shabbat for Machshirei Milah According to Rabbi Eliezer, we saw the Machok between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Kiva at the beginning of the parak. Rabbi Eliezer believes that machshirei milah are et a Shabbat. That means you can make a knife. You can fire up the coals in order to make a knife. You can do all sorts of preparations in order to facilitate the ability to do a brit milah on Shabbat. And you're allowed to do that even in violation of Shabbat because machshirei milah are mutarim on Shabbat. And Rabbi Kiva says only things that you can't do before Shabbat are allowed to violate the Shabbat. And Machshire Mila, since they all could have been done or prepared before Shabbat, they're not Shabbat. So, according to Rabbi Akiva, there's no question. You give the Brit Milah based on Ravada Baala's logic. According to Rabbi Eliezer. Here you have a problem because Ein Hachanami, when it comes to giving the Brit Milah, he'll agree that of Shach you will give the Brit Milah. On the other hand, when it comes to Machshir Milah, over there you can't say that making the knife or the coals is okay to cut Basar because the only reason they Machshir are allowed to make a knife or to make those coals is because you're doing something that's preparatory for a mitzvah that assumes that there is a mitzvah being done over here. When you have a Safek Ben Zayin, Safek Ben Ched, we're not sure you're doing a mitzvah of Milah, and since there's a Safek in the mitzvah of Milah, you can't allow. The milah to be docha shabbat. So the brighta uh, thinks that you can give a brit milah, but based on Rabbi Eliezer's opinion that Mahshire milah are mutarim, the bright is saying that you can't emchalulim at shabbat for machshiri milah according to Rabbi Eliezer. that statement of Rav Adruvava is a machloket tanaim. That's the way Rashi reads it, that's the way the Rosh of the Rishonim read it, that the macho that we're about to express over here is, whether a baby that's born, you can give it a brit, mi manofshach, because either it is a good Mila or it's basar. The Rashba brings one possibility that this ketanayim is referencing back to the bright of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel to say that the position of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel is a machloket tanaim, but we'll read it like Rashi and the Rovah Rishonim, that it's a reference to Ravada Ba'ava, and that is, v'chiyamut min if one of the animals that is for you to eat, mean, it's a kosher animal, that dies, which makes it into a nivela lahavi ben to tell you that an animal that only reached eight months of gestation, the. mit taharato, does not take away the din of nivela. An animal that dies is classified halachli as a nevelah. That's whether it's a kosher animal or a non-kosher animal. If it dies of natural causes, of sickness, of anything besides shechitah, then that animal is classified as a nevela. On the other hand, if you shecht an animal, it only applies to a kosher animal where shechitah is relevant, and there was a problem that you find out it's a Trefa, you find out there was some problem after the shechitah, the Shechita is successful at removing the Tumat Nevelah from the animal. So in this instance where you did Shechita, that should have removed the Tuma from the animal. What the pasuk says is, So it says there, Some of those animals that you eat and die will classify as Nevelah, and some of them will not be classified as a Nevelah. The differentiating factor is whether they had Shechita done to them, or didn't have Shechita done to them. Now, the Machloket in the bright is, Abi Ben Shmona. This was an animal where we assume that the Behem has the same gestation as human beings, nine months. And it was born, Ben Shmona, it was born in the eighth month, In Shechita Toh, The Shechita is not successful at removing the Tumat Nevelah because the animal is not considered to be a viable entity, whereby Shechita is valuable or is efficacious in removing the Tuma. Because the animal is as if it's born dead. It's dead before you shechted it because it wasn't a viable entity. Rabbi 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 the Shechita is successful at removing the Tumat nivela. My love, what is the fundamental machloket, or what is the point of conflict or contention between these Tanaim? The Marsavar, chayhu. the latter two Tanaim, who say that the Shechita works classified it as a living entity. Umasavar, meitu. And the others consider it or classify it as being a mate. So again, it could be like the Rashba says, this is a machuloket that references back to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel to say that there are certain animals that have to cross a threshold before they're considered to be a viable entity or a non-viable entity. We have this classification of animals not being viable entities, even though they've been born and they are living right now. Or, like Rashi suggests over here, that this is a reference to Ravada the statement, that you have animals that are born, that are alive, that have a classification of mate. Similarly, a baby, if it's a Nafel, which is that it's not a Bible entity, it's classified as mate, and therefore cutting it on Shabbat is not classified as a Chaburah. This does have ramifications with regards to what you think the problem of Chaburah is. Again, Rashi Totsafot, we saw back in Shmona Shratim, discuss whether it's Soveya, whether it's N'tilat Neshama, and Tosafo favors heavily saying that it's N'tilat Neshama, and it seems that Rashi is leading in that direction as well. According to the Rambam, who says that the problem of Chabura is Mifareik, it's very hard to understand this Gemara over here, because Mifareik applies to items that are alive, or items that are not classified as alive, and therefore it's very difficult to understand the Rambam Shittah, in the context of this Gemara, the pre Godim raises this in his introduction to Hilchot Shabbat in questioning that view of the Rambam. So this is a Ba'i's suggestion that it is a Machluket Tanaim. And Rovah responds to him, If you think that that's their point of contention, why are they arguing about tuma, defilement, and tara, purity, meaning the question of whether it's classified as an available or not, is it kosher to eat? I mean, that same fundamental question will exist here. If the animal is alive and you shaft it, then you should have shechita, and you can eat the animal. If the animal is classified as dead, and you do shechita, and you're not doing anything, then you never shechted the animal. It's not an animal that then is edible, because it's not kosher to eat. There was no shechita. So why not argue about that point, which would be a much more fundamental issue, as is whether you can eat it or not, rather than simply about tumatara. Ella raba says, Meitu. everybody agrees that an animal born in the eighth month is classified as halakhically dead, they say that that classification doesn't necessarily render it a nevela when it dies then, because the same din applies to a trefa. Trefa. lafa de A trefa that is living. And a trefa is classified, and the Gemara has different definitions of it, but the most accepted definition is that an animal that will not survive over the next 12 months because of whatever the trefa that it has, so that Trefa makes it or qual- classifies it as if it's a dead animal already. Yet the animal's walking around, it's still alive right now. So despite the fact that it's classified as metalogically, Shchitata Mitarata. If you do to a Trefa, the is successfully takes it out of the realm of Nevela, brings it into the world of Trefa, so it doesn't have Tuma. It's not Koshoda because it's a Trefa, but nevertheless, it still removes the din of Tuma from it. So Achanami Loshna, so too over here. Even though the animal is classified as dead, nevertheless, shafting it is still efficacious in removing the tuma from the animal. The Rabanon. And the Rabanon mean the Tanakama of the Brahda. Lo Lu Trefa. It's not similar to a Trefa. Trefa La Shata Kosher. La Shata Kosher. A Trefa is different. A trefa at one point was a viable entity, was a good animal, and then it deteriorated or something happened that made it into a trefa. On the other hand, this animal is born, quote-unquote, dead. It's born, holistically, not classified as being alive. So in the outset, it has this problem associated with it, and therefore, when you shecht it, it doesn't do anything to help you out, it remains in the velah. On the other hand, a Trefa which had a Shatakosher, kosher, which means that it's b'chezka then when you shecht it, that does have the ability to remove the Tumat Nevelah from it, even though it would not be edible, and even though it's classified as dead. The Chitayma, wait a minute, not all Treyfoth are Treyfoth that developed after time. There's bet and they're congenital Treyfoth. That means that it never had a Shatah Kosher. It never was a entity that was kosher or had a status or a default that it was something that was considered kosher or alive. So then... If you have a congenital problem, then it was no different than an animal that's born in the eighth month. Mayikulam Amar, what are you going to say in that case? Nevertheless, in the category of trefoat, there are trefoat that have a shatakosher that have shchita that is impactful on them and that is successfully removes the neveila. Whereas when it comes to eight month gestation, any baby born in that eight month gestation, None of them are viable entities. They're always problematic. If they're always problematic, then shefting them is not going to help you in that situation. So since there are situations where you could sheft the animal before it became a trefa and it would be kasher, and shechita is efficacious, then even after it becomes a trefa, it's still efficacious. And even in animals that have congenital trefold, still they will lean on the other trefot, where within their category, there are animals that can have shechita prior to trefa and therefore Shkita is successful or efficacious in those situations, whereas by the case of the eight-month entity, it's never viable, and since it's never viable, we don't in that situation say that the Shkita is successful at removing the Tumah or taking it out of the classification of Nivela. Now once you do that, then the Machloket is not a Machloket tanaim with grace of Ravada Ba'ava's position, because it seems everyone agrees now to Ravada Ba'ava's position that the eight-month baby is classified unluckily as dead, so it's totally supportive of Ravada Ba'ava, or if you want to say like the Rashba, that it's a machok tanaim, the rise of the position of Rabbi Shimon Gamleo, over here everybody agrees that it's not a viable entity, and therefore they're all agreeing with Rabbi Shimon Gamleo that there is some sort of threshold that you need to cross. mi Shimon Gamleo alone. So here now the Gemara openly is asked the question, which is, do the Rabbonah disagree with Rabbi Shimon Gamleo? And if they do disagree with him, halacha kimoto, oh, halacha kimoto, Is lacha like him? Or is lacha like the Chachamim who disagree with him? Tashma. Egel A calf that is born on yom tov. Shochatim o tov b'yom tov. Yeladah shecht it on that yom tov itself. Well, obviously that's less than eight days, so you can shecht it. If that's the case, then there's clearly somebody or a Tana that disagrees with Rabbi Shimon Gamleon and says you can shecht the animal even prior to elapsment of the eight days. Now, in terms of Muksa, as Rashi says over here, that it's not Muksa because it's muqan imo. The mother was re'uya, to be eaten on Yom Tov, and therefore the mother wasn't Muksa coming into Yom Tov, because Shita is Muterda on Yom Tov, it's part of Ochel Nefesh. Since the mother was within the realm of possibility of utilization on Yom Tov, and it doesn't have a din of Muksa, the Ubar, the fetus, that's being carried along with the mother, gets a din of Mukhan along with the mother. Never when it's born on Yom Tov itself, it's not classified as Nolat, it's, it's classified as muhan Agavei Mo. And since it's Muchan Agavei Mo, the Moksa problem's gone, and you can sheft it on Yom Tov, seemingly because there's no such threshold, like Rabbi Shimon Leo says. How come my skin on the Gemara says, no, 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 this brightest being a unique situation, the Kim Lebe Gavei Shikalolo Chadushab. It's a situation where we know for certain that it reached full term, it reached full gestation. So since we know that that's the case, then you can sheft it, because Rabbi Shimon Leo's situation is only when either we know for sure it was born in the eighth month, or we have a sefeik as to whether it reached full gestation or not, that's when Rabbi Shimon ben puts these tests to determine whether it's a viable entity. But if we know for sure it went to full gestation, then we know it's a viable entity, and we don't need to invoke these tests, even according to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Therefore, this bright Breitah is not a problem for Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Tashma, b'shavim, shim noladhu, vim imo, that if an animal, which is a bechor, is born with its mum already in it, it's a congenital mum, that that's considered to be minamuchan, that's considered to be something that you can utilize on Yom Tov, you can shecht on Yom Tov. So the machloket is actually between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, with regards to whether you're allowed to show a mum on a bechor to a expert, to a chacham on Yom Tov. The problem is that the psak of the chacham will actually determine the status of the animal. And just like when an individual goes to the mikveh, and they switch from being tamay to being tahor, we classify that as being tikkun gavro, and that's a problem with on Shabbat or on Yom Tov, and we don't allow you to do that. Similarly, over here, the classification of the b'chor having a moment, changes it for something that's a suor, a kodesh, that will go on the Mizbeach, to someone that's mutar to eat, because now it is chulin, because of the mum that the animal has in it. So the machloket between Behuda and Rabbi Shimon, is as to whether that is considered to be a problem, on Yom Tov of Metakim, Rabbi Yehuda says it's not a problem with and you can't see the mumim, Rabbi Shimon says that it, it's a problem of metakin, and you can't see it on Yom Tov. So now vishavin. They both agree that if the animal is born with the mum in it, it means that it never had a at isur. The problem of tikkun only happens if the animal was a sur, and now you made it mutar. But if it's born with its mum in it, then that mum itself makes it het there, because it was congenital from the moment that it was born. It never was in a position of isur. That they agree, that's minamuchan, and therefore you could utilize it on Yom Tov itself. But once again here, you have an animal on the David's birth, that's a, which is available to be utilized, and it's not a problem of Mufsa, which shows that you don't have to wait, this requisite time, of eight days, to ensure that the animal, is actually a viable entity, in addition, Rashi just notes over here, the additional requirement, that the animal be born, with the chachamim sitting right there, because if the animal's born and then only afterwards you take to the chachamim, there was a point in time when it was usur, even as a congenital mum, because it doesn't get a turn until the chachamim paskin on it. So this is a situation in which the chachamim happened, or the Beit didn't have to be sitting right there as the animal's born. Never they declared the mum as a mum immediately upon the birth, before there was any chance for it to become a sur, and that's why everybody agrees, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon that there's no problem of tikkun of the animal, uh, tikkun b'chor, in this situation. So, this again shows or indicates that there's somebody who argues on Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. The Gemari answer is the same way it did before, Achanami, lo Khadashab. It's a situation where we know for sure it reached full gestation. Since we know that, then you don't need this test. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's test, again, is only when you haven't reached full gestation. Tashma, Damar Shmuel, to Rabbi Shimon So this answers both questions. Number one, that the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. And number two is halacha mechalad If you have to pass an like Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, that implies that someone disagrees with Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel. And if that's the case, we know both now that there's someone who argues on Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, the rabbanon argue on him. And number two is that halacha, according to Rabbi Gamliel, is like Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel, and that we are hoshesh for that din of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Amar Rabaye If the baby falls off the roof, or a lion came and snatched it away and killed it, everybody agrees that it is considered to be a living entity. I mean, this is a baby that was born, and it was a healthy baby, there was nothing wrong with it, but it lost its life in a sudden accident or incident that cut off its life, but not because there was some sort of deterioration in the baby, or not because it wasn't a viable entity. So in that case... Everybody agrees, that means both Rabbi Shem and Gamliel and the Chachamim agree, that that was a viable entity. Keep Legate. Where do they argue? In a case where either the word Piheik has different meanings by Rishonim in Brachot, in the Gemara Nido, where you're going to establish a vestet based on something physiological that happens in the woman along with the sighting of Dom. So over there it also uses the term Piheik. And the definition there, as well as in the Gemara and Brachot, has Nafkamina Kamina with regards to Dabning Shmon Esrei, with regards to Vestot, as well as with regards to what we're speaking about over here. It either means to yawn, to hiccup, or to burp. So we'll use the word yawn to explain it here. The baby yawned and died, or they let out a sigh and died. One of them says that it was a living entity, and it was a viable entity. And just because it yawned and died doesn't mean that it was too weak or wasn't a viable entity. And the other opinion, believes that it is a non-viable entity. What does it matter whether it's a viable entity or not? The As to whether it exempts a woman from having to perform yibom or chalitza in this case. In a situation in which a person passes away and when he passes away, his wife is pregnant. Now, yibum only applies to the woman if there are no offspring. Here, the woman is pregnant, and if she has offspring, that will disqualify her or exempt her from the need to perform yibum to marry the brother of her deceased husband. So now we have to wait. We don't know whether the baby she's carrying is a viable entity or not. If the baby she gives birth to is a viable entity, then that exempts her, removes the requirement of yibum Chalitza, and then she's free to marry anyone else. On the other hand, if the baby is never a viable entity, then there is no offspring from this couple, and therefore the deceased's brother now would perform ibum or chalitza with this woman. So knowing whether it's a viable entity or not makes a difference over here. So the nafkamina from this statement or this machloket is to whether she's Amina yibum. Had the baby been born while the husband was still alive and then passed away, then, there would be nothing to speak about, because when the husband passed away, they had no children, or they had no descendants. Here, he, since the father already passed away, now it matters whether there's a descendant or not. As long as there's some descendant at that moment, when the father's passed away, and that's determined only after the woman gives birth, that then exempts him from Yibum. Once they're exempt from Yibum, you can't reinstate Yibum afterwards. So whether it's a viable entity or not, that's the Navgamin over here, Liftormina Yibum. So now, the Gemara says, how can you say that it falls off the roof? or it's eaten by a lion. Everybody agrees that that's a viable entity. Vaharapapa, Ravuna, Breda, Rav Yeshua, iklu, the So Rapapa and Ravuna, Breda, Rav Yeshua traveled to the house of the son of Ravidi, Igla the Dishiva, That they made for him. And Igla Tilta was a delicacy. It is defined by Rashi in different ways throughout Shas. A lot of times Rashi says it's the third calf that is born to the mother other times Rashi says that it's a calf that's reached a third of its maturity, and that is a delicacy that they prepare for these special guests. But they did it on the seventh day after the calf was born. So that's before they reaching that eighth-day threshold. Ramri lay and Ravuna, Bere Rav Yeshua, and Rav Papa say to the son of Ravidi B'Avin, "Eat had you just waited until nightfall, we would have eaten from it but now we will not eat from it so what you see from here is this is the equivalent of a lion eating the baby or an accident happening that terminates the life unexpectedly shechita, shech the animal is a artificial termination of the life and yet still they say you needed to wait until the 8th day, so you see that they believe that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's requirement for reaching the 8th day is even in a case where there's an accident or some sort of outside exogenous variable that terminates the life of the animal, even though the animal looked viable and was totally healthy, they still invoke this principle of Abishim and Gamliel and say that we were not willing to eat from this animal because you shafted it on the seventh day. Had you just waited until nightfall, then we would have eaten from it. Rashi over here points out that that is because there's a stira in the pasuk. Vazuk says, for seven days it will, will be under the auspices of its mother, and then after that it sounds like it's totally fine, I mean on the night of the eighth day it should be fine. On the other hand, the pasuk that we quoted before there is, U'miyom ha-shmin that only from the eighth day and onwards will it be qualified. So which is it? Is it only from the eighth day and onward that it's qualified? Or is it even from the night after the seventh day, I mean the night of the eighth day, is that also qualified? Rashi says that since it's Miksat Yom Kekulo, that Miksat makes it that once you enter the eighth day, it's already qualified as if the whole eighth day has elapsed. That's interesting only because Rashi and Tosvot argue in other places in Shas as to whether Miksat Yom Kekulo can apply at nightfall, which is discussed in the Tosvot Tibi Afilu in Moed Kotan, Chof omadbet, Rosh, there in the paragimal of Moed Kotan, Ot Lamid and Olam Gimel also discusses it. And Tosafot in Megillah, on Tavchofa Mubbet, brings this issue with regards to Rashi, saying, Miksotayom Kukulo has application by Sfirah Orim in Migmar in Psachim, Pe'alif, from where it seems that Rashi thinks that there is Miksotayom Kukulo at night, and Tosafot seems to disagree with that. Tosafot believes it can only apply in the morning, it cannot apply at night, and here it seems to be Rashi, following his own Shita, says that Miksotayom Kukulo has application even by night in this situation. Then Rashi brings the solution of the Gemara in Zvachim, and and Daf where he says that Lila Likdusha, Yom Naretzah The difference in the Diok out of the as to whether it's after the 7th day it's okay only on the 8th day it's okay it has to do a difference between whether you're Makdishit You can be Makdishit even on the night of the 8th because that's after 7 days there you have permission to be Makdishit On the other hand in order to bring it as a Korban. Korbanot, they're only brought in the Mikdash during the daytime. So therefore, it would only be qualified on the eighth day itself. And that's the distinction between the night after the seventh and the eighth day. One is Ra'oi Le-Hakdish the animal. The other one is Ra'oi for Korban. But when it comes to Chulin, there's no such distinction. And therefore, the animal will be qualified at nightfall. And that's what they were saying to him. Had you just waited until nightfall, the animal would have been qualified and we would have eaten from it. But now that you did on the seventh day, we won't eat from it. That implies again that they believe that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's opinion applies even when life is suddenly terminated. So now Gemara has to amend that statement of Abaye as to where there is a machloka between Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and the Chachamim. So Gemara says, Ela v'meit. In a case where it yawns and dies, metu. Everybody agrees that's a sign that this entity was not viable, it was weak, and just a simple yawn had it pass away. Now whether that means literally it's a yawn and passed away or it means that it was sick and it passed away, or it didn't show signs of viability and passed away before it showed any full life force, most of the Rishonim believe like that. The Balamor takes it very literally, that it's that he yawned and passed away. So then, ki plige, where do Rabbi Shimon Gomleo and the Chachamim disagree as to whether you have to wait or not? In a case where it falls off the roof, or it's eaten by an Ari, where the life was suddenly terminated. Rabbi Shimon Gomleo says, well, it didn't make it to the 8th day, so we just don't know. Or, we didn't make it to the 30th day, so we just don't know. Or by animals, it didn't make it to the 8th day, we just don't know. And therefore, you can't eat it. Misafei, because we just don't know if it's a viable entity. on the other hand the Chachamim, believe that the default status is chay, that it's considered to be a viable entity. You only have to wait when there's a problem or there's some sort of weakness that's involved. In those situations, we wait because we want to ensure that it is a viable entity. But if you know for sure that it looked like a viable entity, the default status is going to be that it is a viable entity. And so that's the machloque between them, is in a case where the life was suddenly terminated and it didn't show signs of non-viability. Bray the rabdimi bar Yosef, the son of Ravdim Ra yader lei how you know He had a baby that was born bigol tahtan yomim shochev, and unfortunately it passed away within the first 30 days. Yotiv kamit abel ilave. He was sitting Shiva, he was bit over the loss of the child. Amale avua, sabronita kebayt mecho. You wanna eat all the goodies? Or the way that the Tosafot has the gear says, Tzodunita? Rashi says it's matamim, it's goodies, desserts, good stuff. Or it does says, it's Lashon Seidal Mizonot, meaning that the Avel, the people provide the meals, the Sudat Habara, people bring over food to the Avel. So are you sitting Avelot so that you can benefit from other people's food? The implications of which were that he shouldn't be an Avel right now. The baby died within 30 days. Since he died within 30 days, it did not cross the threshold of being a viable entity. And if you're like Rabbi Shimon Men you don't sit Shemuel for it. You don't have a because the child did not reach the point or threshold knowing that it was a viable entity. It's a sefeik. The sefeik ba velut. we go to kula. And a kula ba means that there is no a he answers his father, kim lebe I'm absolutely certain that it reached full term or full gestation. I know that. Rashi, before, in defining what it means, Shekolo Loh with regards to a baby that you know for certain it reached full gestation, in the case, for instance, like Rabbi Eliezer, you'd have to know for sure that it reached full gestation. So Rashi explains there that it's a case that, that the baby is born nine months after they had marital relations. From the time that they had marital relations, the time the baby's born, there was a duration of nine months. Velo shimsha kol ibura, and Rashi makes another comment, which is Rashi the Shitoto, that there was no Biyah the entire time of their pregnancy. Now the truth is that obviously there can't be Biyah again within that period of time that she is torah, because then there's a possibility that she became pregnant not just right after she went to the mikveh, but in the week or two after that she goes to the mikveh. If you're talking about doraita, if you're talking about midrabanan, it would have to be within that week. So, if you have multiple biot, then you're not certain as to whether it's nine months or not nine months, because you don't know which biyah created the pregnancy. On the other hand, if there's only one biyah, you're certain then that there's no problem. Now, once the woman is already pregnant, then it shouldn't matter anymore. But Rashi, the sheet we've seen before, the Rebbeinu Tam argues on Rashi, like in the Gemara in Yevamot, "Taf Yud Bet Amud Bet," and the Gemara Nidah "Chavhei Amud Bet." Rashi seems to indicate that a woman who is already pregnant can become pregnant again. And therefore, the new pregnancy can cause a problem for the entity that's already there. The Rebbein Utam says that you can't have a conception once the woman is already pregnant. So Rashi, the Sheetato Toh says that he didn't have out with her the entire duration of the pregnancy. On the other hand, the Rebbein Utam would say at a certain point, you know for sure that it's not a problem anymore because the woman's already pregnant. She can't have a conception at this point in time. And therefore, you don't have to worry about this Bi'ah being the source of the baby that is now being born, and you know for sure that it reached full gestation. So that's what he said over here, that I know for sure that Kalulo Chadashav. Ravashi Ikla Lebei Ravkano. Ravashi went to visit Ravkano. Itrabei Milta got Latin Yomin. He had some bad news, bad news means Avelut, that he was now Bavelut, and it was within 30 days. Chazio de Gyoti Vikamit he saw that even though the baby had passed away within 30 days of its birth, that Rav Ganu was sitting, Shiva was in Avel for it. Don't you subscribe to that which Rav Yehuda says in the name Shmuel that the is like Rav Shimon Which means that if you don't cross over the 30 day threshold, we don't know it's a viable entity. Safeik. Safeik Babelot is the Kula and there should be no Avelut over here. Why are you sitting Avelut? Once again here, he says, I'm certain that it reached full gestation, and therefore I'm mitabel on it, because I know it was a chai. It was definitely a live entity, and therefore, it is appropriate for me to sit Shiva or have a velut over the baby, because it's not as a fake in this case. And in Shochanar where he brings down a baby that's 30 days and the 30th day included, there is no a for him, even though he looks like he's a full healthy baby. After that, we do have a velut for him. Elain came, we know that he reached full term in gestation, but by then, even if on the first day he passes away, you would have a velut for him like it says in our Gemara over here. So many of the things like burial, which the Shulchan Aruch says, simanshin nun don't have to be done for a neifel or a child that's very young. But over there, most of the Mephasheh uh, Shulchan Aruch note that all of these statements about a child that's under 30 days say that you don't have to do these things. You don't have to carry them out in a regular mito, like a regular burial. You don't have to do all of the trappings of regular burial and a velut for them, but seemingly you can opt in to do it. And it probably relates to the difference in infant mortality. The Ramban and Torah Adam notes that because so many youngsters passing away that you can't have a velut all the time for these youngsters passing away when you have infant mortality at rates of close to 50% and maybe even higher. Today, where it's much more rare that something like that happens, then the general practice is to treat the burial like a regular burial, you can opt in because it is less common for us. On the other hand, when it comes to Aveilut, that only from the 31st day and onward would it be considered a Bar Kayama, like we say in our Gemara here, would there be full-fledged Aveilut? Elohim came, we know, Kalu Khadashabi reached full gestation, and then there would be Aveilut even from day one. And if the baby goes into an incubator, then once the baby emerges from the incubator, that's considered by the day of Layda for the baby. And if the baby survives thirty days after leaving the incubator, then you have the same din as surviving thirty days after the lay that. So now the Gemara continues, Itmar, mate If the baby dies within the first thirty days of its life, Bam Kacha. And the woman had already gotten engaged, gotten married to another man, meaning that she had assumed that she was not chayevit in Yibum or Khalitza because she was pregnant, and she assumed that the baby would be a viable entity and therefore she was exempt. And she engaged with another man, meaning that she got married to someone else. Now all of a sudden she has the baby, and the baby dies within the 30 days. That's the girsa that we have over here. The Tosafot in Bechorot points out that Rashi's girsa over here says that he died at the end of the 30 days. But either way, Amara Vimna Im Ishit Yisrael, if she got married, the new husband that she got married to is Israel, Chaletzet, let her do Chalitzah, there's no downside for her doing chalitza, but here it will not make her a surah to her new husband, because a grushana and a are mutarim to Israel. So let her do chalitza, and then go ahead and the person that she had kiddushin with continue to consummate that marriage, and continue that marriage. Then, then if the new husband that she got married to is a kohen, then we don't allow her to do chalitza. That is because a kohen is mutar ba'almanah, a Kohen is a suru, big Rusha, can't marry a divorcee. Midra banan, a Kohen is restricted from a halutza. So if we allow her to perform Khalitza now, that will disqualify her from continuing in this marriage to the Kohen that she now had entered into. So in order to avoid that problem, we don't make her do halitza. Rav Shrabya Mishmed Rova. So this is Ravina saying in the name of Rova what Rova said. Rav Shavya has a different misora in the name of Rav. Both of them do Chalitza. Whether it's she Neshit Yisrael or an Ashid Kolein, she has to do Chalitza. So Amalei Ravina, the Rav So Ravina, who had this different misora from Rav, says Rav Shravia but orta a Rav Ochi. said, like you said, at nighttime. You were in the Midrash when Rav said it at nighttime. The Tzavra in the morning, Hoderbe, he backed away from it and he said what I said. So Amalei, so Rav Shravia says back to him, tua. Wow, he was matirit? Hey, Ravot, the Tishu darba. ratzon that he should be matir Now, Khelev is fats that are asurim midoraita. And what he's pointing out to him is that he does not think that the consumer that Ravina is bringing in the name of Ravah is correct. He's saying that's way too you. Why is there any reason that you would not make a to Halitza? There is a requirement for Khalitza over here. So I don't understand what you're saying in the name of Ravah. I think the Mesorah, and that which I heard is correct. And now, if you want to be Mekil like that, that's way too Mekil. And if you're going to be Mekil like that, you can be Mekil, and be Matir, Chelev, which is Asur Midoraita. Or in essence, he does not accept the emendation of Rava's position that Ravina is presenting over here. Now, the Balia Tosval point out, Hiksharav Moshe but Let the woman do Chalitza and let her continue her marriage to the Kohen. Because we have a principle in your Malt, that a Safek Chalutza, a woman who has a Safek as to whether she needs Khalitza or had Chalitza, if she's already married to a Kohen, we don't disrupt, we do not undermine the marriage. And that's exactly the situation over here. We don't know if she needs Chalitza or not. That depends on whether the baby was a viable entity. But we don't know because the baby died within 30 days. And so now you have a Safek as to whether it was a viable entity or not. That means that it's a Safek whether she needs Chalitza. The kedushin was already done with the Kohen. So once the Kedushin's is done already, even if there is a fake that does not undermine the marriage and we let the marriage continue. So he asks, I don't understand what the question is over here let them both do chalitza, both the woman who's married to Israel, or the woman who's married to a Kohen, let them do chalitza misafek, and then they can continue their marriage. Why would you not require the woman who's married to the Kohen to do chalitza? Because as we see, we're not going to make them get divorced anyway. So he says, V'Omer Rebbe, Rabbi Rabbi answered, it's not because if they do chalitza, we would force a divorce over here. Okay, and the Efshar below Chalitza. Since we have the opportunity to do this without Chalitza, mutav shlo Better she doesn't do Chalitza, Because then that will cast aspersions on her children. And he brings proof to this, that in other situations, we don't allow a woman to do Chalitza. Because we say, some people will be there for the Chalitza. They won't be there for the announcement that the Chalitza was improper or not necessary. And then they'll think that she married a Kohen as a Chalitza. And if that's the case, the children are going to be problematic, and that's going to cast dispersions on the children. So even though in that situation, we don't make her do chalitza for the fear that my, people might think negatively about her children, so too over here. We prefer she doesn't do chalitza with the coin that she's already engaged to, not because they'd have to get divorced, but because in the future, that might cause problems for her children even though we know it's a safek Chalutza, and she doesn't have to get divorced, nevertheless, it can create a public relations disaster for the family, because the children will be classified by some people, considered by some people as to be children of a Chalutza. And so that's why we're trying to avoid it, not because we would force them to get divorced in this case. Right now the Gemara continues with the last part of the Mishnah, which is Rebihudah Matir, the Gretzuran Droginus, we said in the Mishnah that it's not, the Mila of Androginos is not Dochet Shabbat. and Rabbi Yehuda says that it is Dochet Shabbat. So it seems to be that Rabbi Yehuda thinks that an Androginos, which is a person, a human being that is displaying, that has both male and female organs, and is presenting themselves as both male and female, and we don't know whether they're male or female. At other places in the Gemara, it's discussed extensively as to what the exact status of Androginos is, whether it's considered as a Zachar, Nekevah, or Biriyah Bifnei Atzma, its own entity, and that creates all sorts of problems, because the safek is not simply a safek between Zachar and Nekeva, it's a possibility that it's a safek that it's not a zakhar and not a Nekeva. So now, Rabihulda from our Mishnah, seems to be indicating that an androgynous is a Zachar, because he allows you to be Michala Shabbat, for an androgynous in order to give him a Brit Milah. The only way you would do that is if you know for sure this entity needs a Brit Milah, which means that you're classifying it as a male. So the Chachamim would classify it as a safek, whether it's a safek Nekeva or Zachar, Nekeva does not require a Milah, or whether it's a B'riyab bifnat Sama, it may not need a Milah, so in any of those situations, it won't be Docha Shabbat. But Rabbi Yehuda, it says that Androginus is Docha Shabbat, then it makes it sound like it is a Zachar. And on this we say, Am Rav Shizvi, Am Rav Chizta, Lo Yehuda, Androginus Zachar, who, not for everything or every classification, does Rabbi Yehuda say that Androginus is classified as a male. Shim Atal Merkein, if that's true, Barachin Yarech. If that's true, then when it comes to Arachin, the parashiyah that's found at the end of Parshat B'chukutai, the end of Sefer Vayikra, where a person donates the value of an individual to the Mikdash. Now they don't say the individual's value, they say the Erech. Erech has tables based on your age and your gender as how much you donate to the Mikdash. So if you say Erech of an individual to the Mikdash, then you go look up in the table, what's their age, what's their gender, and you give that amount to the Mikdash. Over there, we have a din and arachin that it does not have application to an androgynous. How do you know that there's no arachin for an androgynous? Hazakhar, Tumtum, Baandroginus, as male in Tumtum, that's someone who does not display either signs of male or female sexual organs. It is what they call covered up, and we can sometimes know afterwards if we open up, we can find it, but sometimes we never know. So there's Safek Zachar, Savekna Nekeva. Over there, Hazachar, as Rashi points out, the extra hey teaches you that not only does it have to be someone who is a Safek male, but Hazachar must be an absolute male. But so they're precluded. Okay, so if they're not in the qualification or the category of males of the tables, but they'll at least be a nekeva. If you're not a male, then maybe you'll be a nekeva, and they should get the table of a nekeva because mimonam shach. Either nekeva. Hazachar ve'im Viim Nikevahi, The extra vi'im teaches you that it has to be an absolute nekeva. Zachar Baday nekevah b'day. If you're absolute zachar and absolute nekeva, then you do give arachin and you pay it. Below tum-tum, tumtum and and not a tumtum and Androginos, There's some question as to whether tumtum should be in the girsu over here and the gemara in bchorot takes tumtum out because tumtum is a sefez zachar sefez nekeva. So at minimum, it should have to pay at least the Arachin of a Nikeva. Whereas Androgynous, where there is this possibility that it's neither a Zachar nor a nikevah, is excluded. It's possible that you could leave Tumtum in if you believe that it has to be identifiably a Zachar and a Nikeva. And therefore, if it's a Tumtum and it's a safek, that already precludes it. But nevertheless, there is some question as to where Tumtum should be here. But as far as we're concerned, Androgynous is not subject to Arachin. That means that that Androgynous is not classified as a Zachar. Not classified as in a keiva. Now, why does that have anything to do with Rabbi Yehuda? That's because the Stam Sifra, Sifra, which is Torah Koanim, the Midrash Halacha on Sefer VaYikra, Rabbi Yehuda. He that the Stam Sifra, without any authorship, we assume is written by Rabbi Yehuda. Stam Rabbi Yehuda and Shas Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli, and he is the author of the Torah Koanim. So, if he's the author of the Torah Koanim, and this Braita that we just brought is from the Torah Koanim. And in our Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda speaks, you see there's a differentiation in his position. In our Mishnah, he calls the Adroginus a Zachar. In the Breitah, in Terat Kohanim, Rabbi Yehuda says, that Adroginus is a Safek Zachar, a Zakhvek a Safek birya. does not qualify for Arachim. It's not qualified as a Zachar over there. A Rav Nachman, a have another Breitah. Where we see the same view within Rabbi Uda, Kok Shirim the Kadesh. Anybody can make the waters of the Para Duma, sprinkling the ashes into the water to make the waters of Mechatat, for sprinkling on people who have Tumat Meit. Chutz, with the exception of Cheres Shoteh Katan. They are not qualified because they're not B'nei Dat, and therefore they're not able to create the Kdusha that we need. Rabbi Yehuda, Machshir the Katan, Upposel the Isha, the but here it says that a katan can do it, but a woman cannot do it, and an androgynous cannot do it. That's because the pasuk over there says binatan in the male formulation. So binatan is bino isha, binatan and not androgynous. Again, if you think that an androgynous in our mission is a zakhar, and that's why he gets a mila, then also by the kiddush mechatat, then androgynous should be classified as a zakhar and be able to do it. So once again here, you see Rabbi Huda does not believe in Androginos as a Zechar Mina. So you see, this statement of Rav Shizvi is correct. That Rabbi Huda believes by Mila he's a Zechar, or classified like a Zechar. By all these other cases, he's not classified as a Zechar. Now the question becomes, why by Mila does he get a Mila? Why is he classified as a Zechar? So Gemara says, milah. why is it different by Mila that he's classified as a zakhar? Kol because the passage says that you should give a Brit Milah to Kol. The Kol is a reboy. Kol Zahar means the rabbot androgynous. Not only does a Zahar get a Milah, but even Kol Zahar. Anybody that's in that category of Zahar, including an androgynous who has that safek or has that possibility of classification of a Zahar, he is included and therefore he gets a Brit Milah, that is Docha Shabbat just like a regular Zachar. So you see that Rabbi Yehuda's position is not based on the fact that Androganus is a Zachar, it's based on the fact that there's a special reboy by Mila that includes him, whereas by every other case, since there isn't such a reboy, we would not include him. Talosafo points out that it's very strange, because it's only because by Mila that we have a reboy that we include the Androganus. Yet by Arachin, you just told me you need a specific puzzle to exclude the Androginus. You need the hay from Hazachar and the Ve'im from the Nekeva to say the Androginos is excluded. Why did you do that? If you don't have a reboy, then Androginos should automatically be precluded from the Arachin. So why do you need a reboy? So Talos at first suggests, okay, maybe that's what the Gemara is saying over here. We just learned it out from the word Zachar and Nekeva. It's not because of the reboy of Hazachar and Ve'im Nekeva. The problem is that the Gemara in Arachin says that it is from the extra letters. So what Totsafot says over here is Eino ochanami. You have now competing sukim over here. You have a pasuk by Arachin that says that the default status of Androginus is that it would be classified as a Ezekhar Nekiva and you need a preclusion from the pasuk to knock him out to say that he's not included. By Milah, you have a pasuk that teaches the opposite. The default status of Androginos is that it's not considered classified as a zahar, and therefore you need a boy so now you have two different paradigms that are set up. The paradigm of Arachin that says that, that he's not a Zachar. And then you have the paradigm of Mila which says is Zachar. So now when you come to other areas in Halacha... You have to figure out which paradigm is governing. And what Tosafot suggests is that we go to Chumrah. We always go to Chumrah and assume whichever which side would be the Chumrah, that's what we classify as the paradigm. So in most situations, the Chumrah would be to classify him as the paradigm of Arachin that says that, that he's not a Zachar. And if the case were turned out to be the Kula, we wouldn't learn from Arachin. Like for instance, Bi'at Mikdash, where disqualifying him from being included in the din would say that you're not Chayav Karit for coming to the Mikdash. Therefore, we would use Mila, where it says that he is a zakhar, to say that he should be chayav in that case. Okay, we're going to stop here by the Mishnah on top of Kufelamet Zayin Omeralif.